like to continue on in a series that we started about four weeks ago. And uh, today the, the topic of this message is breathe in and breathe out. The series that we've been on is, is titled Seize the Moment, learning how that we can live every day to the fullest of what the Lord is giving to us. And and Erwin McManus wrote a book called Chasing Daylight that has given us kind of a rough draft as to follow as we've been going through this. But this story, the main characters in it are King Saul and Prince Jonathan, his son, and an unnamed armor bearer. And the two men are faced with a situation where they're living in the same minute and they make different choices which drastically changes the outcome or the momentum of their life. One of them said that God was not going to do anything. The other one thought that in this moment it is pregnant with opportunity and I want to step into it to see what God will do, it, will do in it. And from this account, we've been going through a passage of Scripture in 1 Samuel word for word and drawing from it an overarching framework for the way that we should live our life in faith. The first Sunday as we introduced this, we were talking about you choose to live, the greatest Discovery that we've been given as we are created being is that God lets us choose and we can choose how we want to engage in the minutes and the moments of our life that produce momentum and the greatest gift he ever gave to us was the ability for us to choose what we want to do as we face the minutes of our life. The second week we talked about initiative that were wrapped up in the words of Jonathan to his armor bearer when in spite of staggering odds he decided to step into a moment and he said to his armor bearer, come on let's go and while his father let fear overtake him, Jonathan took the initiative and God responded. And we talked about how God gives us the ability to take initiative. We need to just do something. We can't just sit around waiting for God to do something. He may have created moments for us to step into and do something. Last week, Pastor Jeff ministered on the topic of uncertainty in the context that God does some of his greatest work within our life in moments when we are uncertain. And it's an environment where God invites us to be creative. And Prince Jonathan stepped into a moment with the thought that perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf, which leads us to today. And let's just bow our hearts in prayer. Father, as we approach your word today, we recognize that your Holy Spirit is the one that leads us and guides us into all truth. That you take the word and you unlock the truth so that we can grab the nuggets and the kernels that nourish us and we can apply them to our life. And I pray that you will do that today as we learn to breathe in and breathe out. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. How many of you work in schools? You may be a school teacher, you're around students, bus drivers working. There's a lot of hands up here. My wife, as many of you know, is a public school teacher. And every year I recognize that there are instances in the morning when a child hears the mother or father yell, it's time to get up for school, and they lay there and they've been coughing and they've been sniveling and they may have a little fever and the mother steps in and the child says, I'm sick, I can't go today. And that mother looks down at her child and has to make a decision. If I choose to allow them to stay home, it's going to wreck my day. And so I reached down and said, you know what? Your fever not, is not really, really bad. It's not, it's, I think you should go to school. And in that decision, they send their child to school, and those children end up in my wife's classroom. And what happens is they're there, and they begin to rub their, the, the stuff that comes out of their nose on their sleeve, and they, they get off the bus, and they see her, and they run to her, and they hug her. And all of those wonderful germs that that mother and father that morning decided you need to take those and spread them get all over her clothes. And so 
When she gets back home that night, she sees me and she comes running over to me. This happens every night. She can't wait to get out of the car and run into the house. What are you laughing at? And just, <laughs> and just embrace me. And suddenly, a decision that a mother made in the morning directly affects my life. Because about three days later, what happens is I get a sore throat. And then it moves from there into my head, and there's sinus pressure. And then it begins to drip into my chest, and it spends the next week wrecking my breathing and my voice. And as somebody who talks for a living, it just destroys me. And some of you grandparents already know this. Your grandkids are petri dishes of exotic germs and destruction just waiting to be unleashed on your unwitting immune system. In fact, some of you I know, like Ron Kenyon, every time his grandkids come over, we know he's out for the next week. Whatever his kids bring, they just wipe him out. And some of you know exactly what that's like. And that's what I want to preach to you about this morning. Influence. Because if you look at the word influence, right in the middle of it is the word flu. And strangely enough, but not a coincidence, the same word for influence is the same etymology of the word influenza. Now, I could stop right there, and some of you would have learned something today, but have no idea what to do with it. What we need to understand is that influence is just like the flu. It passes from one person to another, and it is unseen and it is undetected until after the effects of it are passed on and hit you. In fact, you cannot measure it until you see the impact of influence on another human being. And we are designed as human beings in unusual ways because we are designed to be influenced and we are designed to influence. Here's what I'd like everybody to do. Stop with me for a moment and take a deep breath. Did you see the curtains suck in when you all did that? It changed the air pressure in this place. Interesting enough, you were already breathing, but by the influence of saying we breathe together, there was this massive inhale that took place together. None of you said, do I need to stop breathing so that I can breathe together? It's something that we just do naturally. In fact, breathing is so natural that you don't even have to consciously think about it. It happens all the time. You are inhaling and you are exhaling. Even when you're asleep, you are breathing. And it's the same way with influence within our lives. You, you may not even be aware of the impact that you are making on other people's lives until you see the impact within their lives. And interesting enough, once you see the impact that you have on other people's lives, some of you may not want to take responsibility for it. You may say, that wasn't me. I don't know where that came from. In fact, parents say this all the time. Their kids act just like my spouse. They got that influence from them. That, that could not have come from me. And you can say, that's not on me. That's their choice. Even if your hand's off, your influence may be on. I find it interesting that through the years when I was serving as the district youth director, we would put on camps for kids' camps and youth camps, and it seemed like at least once every camp there was something that took place that required me to have to sit with a child and make a call to their parents, and they would have to explain to their parents why they had to call because they broke a rule. And the funny thing was, was one of the first questions that each parent would ask their child was this question, who put you up to that? And I realized through the years that it really wasn't a question so much as of, of information gathering as it was an expression of hope 
in that parent's life that their child was not the instigator. Oh, I know my child. They couldn't have done this on their own. And so the first who put you up to this? Oh, please have an answer for that. Because otherwise you become that child. So we've been journeying on this life together with the king and his son, the prince Jonathan and his father, King Saul. And we've been looking at the moment. And this moment where we are is a moment where their nation of Israel is at war with the Philistines. And they were faced with an overwhelming dilemma. They were going to war against a nation that wanted to destroy them. There was no negotiation for peace. There was no choice being offered. They were outnumbered by thousands to one, and they only had two swords. And the Philistines had horses and chariots and trained soldiers and weaponry galore. There is no way in the world that Israel was going to end up ahead if they engage in this battle. So Saul decides to avoid it. And Jonathan decides to enter into it by picking a fight. And in the middle of this moment that two men were living into, Saul and his men are asleep, but Jonathan wakes up one person, his armor bearer, and he says to him, come, let's go. Let's get up from here and let's do something. And this is where we're going to pick up the story today. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to 1 Samuel chapter 14. And I'm going to be reading verses 6 through 7. Jonathan said to his young armor bearer, Come, let's go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised men. Perhaps the Lord will act in our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. Now, as you're reading along with me, I want you to understand this is the next part is the part I want you to focus on. How the armor bearer responds to this request. He says, do all that you have in mind. Go ahead. I am with you, heart and soul. I am so impacted by that response because all of us know how rare it is to have somebody in your life who you don't even have to explain anything to. They may not understand what you're doing. They they may not have any idea of what's going on. They may not even think that you're going to succeed, but they look at you and say, I trust you so much. I am with you in this, that go ahead and do whatever your heart is set and do. I am with you, heart and soul. So deep was the loyalty that was there. And the response is really very unexpected because, you see, the armor bearer was obligated to obey Jonathan. He had the worst job in the world. I don't care how bad your job is. The armor bearer had the worst job in the world. He literally had to wear the armor and carry the sword all of the time until it was needed. And then he had to put it on Jonathan, and Jonathan got the sword. And the armor bearer literally had to stand next to a fierce warrior in the front of the battle lines, completely vulnerable and unprotected. And everywhere that this warrior went, he had to go. But he could not engage in the battle himself, and he could not protect himself. So I can understand the armor bearer waking up in the middle of the night, and Jonathan's voice commanding him. It could have said, and Jonathan commanded him and said, let's go, and the armor bearer would have said, okay. But you see, Jonathan doesn't need to explain anything to him. He's obligated to go. He's required to go. It's his job. That's what he must do. But notice he doesn't say, whatever you command, I will do. No. He says, whatever your heart leads you to do, I am with you, heart and soul. Here's what I've learned through the years. Command is the lowest form of authority. Command is the lowest form of leadership. Command is actually the lowest form of power. If you have to command somebody to do something, it's because you can't influence them. 
And you've probably experienced that in your life. You probably have all had people that were in authority over you, and as a result of that, they commanded you to do things, and you did what they told you to do because they had the authority and because you had to do it, but you didn't want to. And because you didn't want to, you didn't do it at the highest level of your capacity or the highest level of your ability. In fact, the whole dynamic of passive resistance comes from the person who feels powerless and feels obligated to do something that they've been commanded to do. And so you say, I have to do it. I've been told to do it, but I don't have to do it well. And I don't have to do it to the best of my ability. And so I will resist in the only way I know how, by doing it poorly or by doing it just good enough not to call attention to myself. I think there are a whole bunch of Christians that attend churches everywhere who live and grow in their idea of God is that God is only a commander to them. That all God does is stand in heaven and scream out commands that you must obey. You've got to do this. God commands you to do this. And that our idea of following him is that we say, I've got to do it because you're God, but I don't have to like it. And I may not do it well. And we've got this image in our minds that all God does is just command, command, command. But I want you to know something. God's preferred approach toward leading you is not command. It is influence. He would much rather have your heart and soul where the suggestions that he makes within your heart, you begin to follow because he influences you. The essence of influence is to win the heart and soul of another person through the strength of your own character and personhood. That's why influence is always more powerful than authority. In fact, you might want to jot this down. Authority can shape what a person does, but influence shapes who a person becomes. Authority can shape what a person does, but influence shapes who a person becomes. You see, God doesn't simply want to win your response. He wants to win your heart. He wants to hear you say, I am with you, heart and soul. Whatever you want to do, I am in this with you. I don't have to do it. I don't feel obligated to do it. I'm not afraid not to do it. I am obeying you because I am with you, heart and soul. And many times we put way too much weight on positional authority and way too little weight on influential authority and relational influence. And sometimes here's the way that plays out. Sometimes it shows up with a problem with parenting because sometimes as parents, you just go with the authority aspect. It's a positional authority. You look at your kids and say, I am bigger than you. I am stronger than you. I am faster than you and I can take you out of this world if I need to. And you begin to rule in the household because, and with the terms of, you'll do this because I told you so and I'm the parent and you don't have to understand it. And as a result, you have kids that will do what you say, but they don't do it well. They'll listen to what you say because you have positional authority, but their heart is not with you. And then we grow in that and we come to the place from that experience that we begin to look at scriptures and we have generations of us that came through very legalistic backgrounds that believe that that's the way that God deals with us. That he commands us in scripture and we look at this and say, that's not really what I want to do, but God, I don't want you to take me out and you're bigger and stronger, so I will do it, but I don't have to do it well. I'll obey, but my heart might not be in it. And we begin to grow thinking that this is the way that God wants to deal with us 
Like he's treating us as if we're three-year-olds that are incapable of understanding the why of life. But God does not treat you like that. And this way of authority, even in our families, ends up with parents that are so brokenhearted because all they used was command and authority and they didn't use relationship and influence. And so the moment that their children have grown and they are no longer afraid... The moment the children grow up and go to college and they no longer are under a direct authority, the moment they no longer are fearful of their parents' power, they went a different direction. And the parents look at it and say, what happened to my kid? Well, they moved to what they had given their heart and soul to and it just wasn't you. At some point, there was an influence stronger than your command. And it just wasn't you. For those of you taking notes, under the first point, there are two dynamics of influence. There's a power of influence that is so underestimated, but it works with two dynamics. You breathe in, and you breathe out. You breathe in, and you breathe out. You are designed to inhale, and you are designed to exhale. And you need to step back and ask yourself, what am I breathing in? What am I inhaling into my life? What are the influences of my life? And what is influencing me? What am I absorbing into my soul? What is shaping me? What is informing me? What is forming me? And at the same time, you have to ask yourself, what is it that I am breathing out? What is inside of me that I am giving the world? What is inside of me that I am passing off to all of those that are around me? Because whatever you have inside of you is what you are breathing out to others around you. And here's the terrifying thing. You may be giving things out from inside you that you don't even want inside of you. You see, some of you are walking around with such bitterness inside of you that that's what you're giving out even though you don't want the bitterness in there. Some of you have anger inside of you and you're passing it on. Some of you have greed inside of you and you're passing it on. And what is a terrifying thought is the only thing you can pass on to somebody else is what is already on the inside of you that you inhaled from someplace. And you let it influence you. But if that is true, so can the other be true. That if what is inside of you, you can pass on to somebody else, then breathe in something that's good so you can exhale something that is good on those around you. Here's an interesting thing that happens in the church, however. There are a lot of people that come to church, and their idea of a good church is, is I, I just breathe in. Oh, my goodness, I just want to inhale the presence of the Lord. I want to inhale his hope. I want to inhale all of these things. And, 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 and I take a deep breath of God in praise. And then I take a deeper breath of God in, in, in reading the Bible. And I take a, you know, after a while, if you just keep breathing in without exhaling, you literally can die with full lungs and no oxygen. And there are some of you who wonder why your life doesn't have the dynamic of seizing divine moments and you can't figure out why your moments remain just minutes and are mundane and why isn't God using me in a greater way. And it all could be because all you do when you come to church is inhale. All you do is receive. And you're here today and you're inhaling faith and hope and encouragement and courage and forgiveness and inspiration Because that's all you want to do is just inhale. And then you wonder why there's no significance to your life and the things that matter in your life you can't seem to be passing on. And here's the reason why. Because you come to church and you inhale and you inhale and you inhale and you leave here and you hold your breath. You're so afraid 
of real life that you fail to understand that the only way real life happens is when you inhale what you need from the Lord and you exhale what he has given you to the world around you. Inhale and exhale. And the armor bearer says to Jonathan, go ahead. I'm with you, heart and soul. These words are interesting because they're not just a reflection of who the armor bearer was, but it was a reflection of who Jonathan was. He was demonstrating loyalty and trust, and I understand that these are words that we use a lot, but honestly, our culture doesn't value loyalty very much. We talk about it, but we really don't. We see this in friendships, and and frankly, there are some friendships that last a lifetime. There are some friendships that are seasonal. We see this in jobs. We see this in marriages. People say, I am committed, I am with you, heart and soul, and then things change. You say, well, for now or until the conditions change. Even people who go to churches, and we've had a lot of people that have visited our church, and I always enjoy talking to them and find out what's going on, and sometimes they're saying, well, we heard something exciting's here, so we want to come in and just see what's happening and what's going on here, and then if we hear something exciting somewhere else, we, we run over there. And if that's you this morning, what that makes you is part of the audience, but not part of the family. Because family engage themselves. Families breathe in and exhale and say, I'm committed. There's a loyalty and a trust that comes. And influence begins when you're a part of something that you give yourself to it. You invest yourself in it. You inhale and you exhale. You receive and you influence. Which leads us to the second point, which is influence is contagious. What are you breathing in? to those around you because if you're filled with bitterness you will pass on bitterness if you are filled with anger you will pass on anger if you are filled with cynicism you will pass on cynicism if you are a critical person and everything that you see you look at through a critical eye you will exhale that on everybody around you doubt and despair and discouragement will be the strain of flu that you pass on to everybody around you because whatever is in you is what you're breathing on people And whether you have a little bit of influence or an immense amount of influence, what are the people who you are influencing in life doing with their life? Because that's a great test. Those that you are influencing in their, you are an influence in their life, what are they doing with their lives? Because then you will know the virus that you are spreading. Are you breathing out character and hope and joy and generosity? Are you breathing out a good attitude and virtue that are helping the people around you find meaning to their life? Are you breathing out something that when you see them engage in the way that you were, it brings value to their life and those around them? Are you breathing out strength that helps people around you be resilient in their faith? All of us pass on a little bit of ourselves to others. So you better like who you are and make what you give to others a blessing rather than a curse. What I think is interesting with Jonathan is that he didn't have any power. In fact, for those that would say, man, I don't have much influence in my life, I want you to look at this story because he only had a little bit of influence because the Bible says that he only woke one person up. One person. So maybe you were here and you think, I... Pastor, I don't know how this applies to me because I just don't have much influence. I, 
There's not a lot of people that look at me or come to me or engage with me, and, and maybe there's only one or two, but I want you to know something. As long as there's one or two, you have power. You have influence that needs to be monitored and to what you're doing within their life. The power of this passage is not how many people you influence. It's about what God can do when you use whatever influence you have to do something of eternal value. So what are you doing with what you've got? And the reason this matters is that for far too long, the church has been a place where you inhale. We've come into the church and we inhale and we look for places where we can inhale and we breathe deeply and we breathe deeply and then we go out the doors and we hold our breath all week long, afraid to exhale and afraid to use the influence that God has given to us. And then we wonder why we live such mundane spiritual lives. We wonder why is it that God is not taking me to the deeper places? Why is it that my life seems to be without spiritual adventure? It's because we're holding our breath, afraid to exhale the very things that God has given to us. There was a moment in the life of Moses when he led the people of Israel out of Egypt and they were supposed to enter into the promised land and so he sent one leader from each of the 12 tribes to go spy out the land. And they were to come back and bring a report. And this is what happened. We find this in Numbers chapter 13, and I'll begin reading with verse 26. And they came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. And they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit, but... The people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there, and the Amalekites live in the Negev, the Hittites, Jebusites, Amorites, they live in the hill country, the Canaanites live along the sea, along the Jordan. And then Caleb silenced the people before Moses. In other words, the people were beginning to stir, and Caleb says, we should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. But... The men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report. It's like a virus. It's like the flu. The attitude of fear spread about the land that they had explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there were of great size. We saw the Nephilim, the descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. We, we seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes and we looked the same to them. 10 men came back and confirmed that everything God said about the land and the promise was true. They actually saw the promise and all of its potential, but they saw the obstacles between them and the promise and they chose to look at the obstacles rather than the promise. How like us is that? That when we come and we face the things of this world, rather than looking at the strength and the power and the ability of our God, we look at the obstacles that are in front of us and we shy back and we spread fear like flu to all of those around us. Joshua and Caleb said the same things. They said everything they said about the land is true. It's loaded with all that God said, and yes, the obstacles are large, but we need to step into this moment because God has promised it to us, and let's seize it because God is with us. And they were outnumbered 10 to 2, and because the other 10 exhaled fear and spread a flu and virus of fear that infected all of the people, they spent 40 years wandering in the wilderness rather than 40 years thriving in God's promised land. That's influence. 
So the question comes to mind, what report are you giving to the world? What message are you sending out to others? When we understand that our principal strength and our principal power is influence, the first thing we have to do is tend to what is on the inside of us to make sure that what comes out of us is what we want to put into others. And there has to come a point when you give up the bitterness and you give up the anger and you, and you give up all of those things which have held you back and you give up the jealousy and the envy and the greed and the arrogance and the pride and you declare, God, I don't want this stuff inside me anymore. I'm so tired of passing on this virus to my family and to everybody else around me. You need to change what's in me so that my influence can be more like you and less like me because I don't want to pass this on to the world any longer. And so today you have an opportunity to inhale everything that God has for you. Inhale the life that Jesus died to give you. But stop holding your breath when you leave here and learn to exhale the blessings of the Lord on everybody around you. Breathe in. Breathe out. Breathe in. Breathe out. Breathe in Jesus. Breathe out life. The moment you start breathing out hope and breathing out love and breathing out life, the moment you start exhaling joy and compassion and intention, people are going to start running to you. So desperate are they for somebody that will influence them for the good and speak something of truth to their life that they will seek you out because they can't wait to be where you exhale because of what God allowed you to inhale. Nate, if you'd please come and prepare yourself to play. The ultimate end, the most profound result of influence is when a person is free from command or power that you may exert, but still responds to you by virtue of the influence of your values and your passions. I'm convinced that there are a lot of people that would receive Jesus Christ as their savior if through the power of your influence you would provide them an opportunity. But so afraid have you been to step into that moment and to actually exhale that which God has given you that they sit there waiting. They admire you, they they enjoy the influence of your life, but you've never brought them to a place where they can make that decision and God is encouraging you today, step into that moment. Step into the moment of your influence and begin to use it because God has poured into you so that you can pour out to them. We live under a divine influence. And influence is a power that we underestimate. One of the most proud moments I've ever had as a father happened at my son's high school graduation banquet. Sitting there with his wrestling coach and he was telling me about the years that he'd had Keith under his leadership and he told me, he says, I have to tell you something. When Keith was a sophomore, there was a girl that had joined their wrestling team. Her father was a wrestling coach of another school district and So when she came in, she was in the similar weight category to my son, and the coach told Keith, I need you to wrestle this girl. I need you to work with her, teach her the moves. And and Keith had grown up in a household where we talked about this a lot, that there are certain ways that men treat women, and we just felt that 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 was way too violent of a way for a man to treat a woman. Plus, some of the moves were highly uncomfortable for teenagers, and he told his coach, I won't do that. I won't do that. And this went on and on every day. He said, I would always ask you, hey, I need you to wrestle Amanda. I need you to go and help her. And he would say, I I won't do that. 
And one day, and I was at wrestling practice a lot just because I enjoyed watching. And one day I wasn't there and the coach said to him, Keith, listen, your dad's not here, so nobody, nobody's going to tell him that you broke his rules. And Keith stood to his coach and he said, whatever gave you the impression that these are my dad's values and not mine? He said, I won't wrestle that girl because that would break my values. And if it means losing matches, so be it. But these are my values. And that coach told me, in all the years I've coached, this is the only kid that I went to the graduation banquet because he showed me that it doesn't matter how old you are, you can be influenced by values. I believe that as a church, we need to begin to influence our world with the values that we have. You know what? We're not going to win a lot of arguments on Facebook. We're not going to sit there and with a typing, just going as quick as we can, enter into those. There's something about influence, face-to-face conversations where there's attitudes that can be displayed and kindness and things that win the hearts of people. I believe that the church is poised for a great revival, but it will come as a result of the influence of relationships that we have with people. Well, what if I don't like what they believe? So what? Love them anyway. Engage them where they are because your influence will draw them. If Christ lives within you, that's what's going to influence them, that they will be loved so that at some point they will look at you and say, I don't care what you're doing. I am with you heart and soul because you have so influenced me. That's what Jonathan modeled and that's what he reinforces. Some of you today, God wants to win your heart today. He just wants to win your heart. And it all starts with an exhale. You you have to exhale the declaration of Jesus, I give you my life. You exhale the declaration, Lord, I am so sick of my sinful ways. I want to give them to you so that you can forgive me and cleanse me. Because you cannot confess without exhaling what's inside of you so that God can put what's brand new on the inside of you. And so we exhale a prayer of forgiveness so that we can inhale the new life that God breathes into us. And some of you are here right now and you need Jesus to breathe into your spirit his life and forgiveness, his freedom, his hope, his joy, his meaning. And he needs to breathe it into you. So I'm going to ask that you would close your head, close your eyes and bow your heads. And if you're here today and say, Pastor, I I have been inhaling things that I've been afraid to exhale on others. I've been so filled with things that have been unhealthy for the people around me today I need to just exhale all of these things so that I can breathe something healthy of influence around those and if you're here today would you just raise your hand I'm not going to embarrass you I'm just going to pray for you yes 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 many 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 you can put your hands down I'm going to ask that you would stand with me this morning I'm going to pray for you that you would inhale today the life of Jesus and that in doing so that the power of his influence him wanting to win your heart and win your mind the power of that flowing into your being and into your soul would cleanse everything that's in there that doesn't need to be there that the sins that you've had within your life that when you're inhaling his salvation that it will wash you clean and that you will leave here today with a brand new view on life and it'll change the way that you influence people around you so father we come today 
you know every hand that was raised in this room and you know those that wanted to raise their hand but they couldn't because of the pressure of what they're going through and so father I ask that you would respond right now to those that desperately need to be cleansed of all of the stuff that's been within them that they know their influence in their families and at work and wherever they go has not been healthy but today they are inhaling the salvation of Jesus they're inhaling your life they're inhaling hope so that what they exhale will be of value to the people around them we inhale you we exhale hope and that we live life as influencers in this world so father I pray in this moment that we would just exhale all of our fear that we would exhale all of the doubt that we would exhale all of the anxiety and all of the stress and all of the stuff that is just killing us because it's become toxic to us and that in this moment we would inhale the life of Jesus who has come to win our heart and influence us for his kingdom. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. In just a moment, I'm going to dismiss you so that you can enjoy some phenomenal chili, some great bread and hot chocolate. But if you're here today, and there were some things that you exhaled that allowed you to inhale Jesus and you are entering into his family today. I would love to have you come and just talk to me for a minute and our altar workers that will be here so that we can help kind of start you on the journey of what it means to be a follower of Christ. And for the rest of us, here's what I ask you. You have inhaled deeply today. Do not hold your breath when you leave the church this week. Exhale. Exhale Jesus. And watch what he'll do with the influence in your life. God bless you. Have a great meal.